probably one of the more um, easily accessible aims of Dhamma practice to make our lives more meaningful, clearer, uh, more profitable. And so we look at meaning, uh, purpose, value, and what shapes that, and what uh, clears that, and what uh, brings that into fruition. Matter of heart, really. This quality heart, chitta, is that which can be, is confused, frightened, desperate, passionate, can be cleared of these effects to something uh, loving, spacious, serene, clear. Benefits, obviously, in this life and uh, the understanding is that in the death, the degree of clarity or purity of the jitta uh, removes it from the possibilities of miserable future existence. And perhaps even from any future existence on this sensory plane anyway. But if we look very practically at well, what we can know getting through a day, through a month, through a year, coming to the end of this one. Now already it's a bit of a uh, story, isn't it? Because year, number, day, number, I don't see any numbers. I don't feel any numbers. I can sense uh, you know, pretty much the same as any other day. So the very ideas we have of time, the ideas are so driven and formulated in terms of days and weeks and months and years, which on an external calendar is the external mind deals with concepts and uh, structures uh, which dominates people's lives. Days of the week are very significant. If you're working, or whatever, 52 of them, weeks a year. But when we look at life like that, it's a bit of a treadmill really going on and on and on, it kind of makes kind of sense in this middling bit, you know, when you're 20 to 60 or so, or something like that, you know, yeah, and then be this age, and you have some children, and then you retire, and then, da, 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 and then we go there, and we go there, and plan this, and plan that. It's all caught up with the world, of that kind of world. And if we extend it, that, that um, experience of life to it's fullness, we have birth, you come in flat on your back, helpless, and death, you go out flat on your back, helpless. 
not knowing what day of the week it is when you're born, not knowing the week it is when you die. <laughs> what was all that about? <laughs> that bit in the middle, which seems so important. And when you even you kind of contemplate it in this very living experience, it's kind of like doesn't really mean very much actually. Mm. Yeah, if we get caught in that world, that world of the external mind, the organized structures that people place on reality, it gets a bit pointless really. You know, all the targets are notional. And what we know intellectually is one day we'll die, but it happens to somebody else. So I, you know, I've got no, I've got no um, way of really getting a clear definition of my own death. Other people do it, but I don't. Because <laughs> when I do it, the concepts drop away. When somebody else does it, I can look at them thinking, oh, that was so-and-so, or he's this, or he's that, or... But when I die, that won't be happening. Mm. So we begin to turn. If we think about our death, then we know other people do it, and we wonder what happened to me. It'd be painful. It looks a bit like a struggle. Other people seem to be doing it. They're struggling, or they doesn't look very good to me at all. That's going to happen to me, probably. And then what happens? Probably a bit of anxiety, uh, pushing it away, or being perhaps saddened or depressed. Mm. Well, actually, this is one of the most important um, entry points for chitta. For a reality, for a direct experience reality, which is the domain of awakening, domain the Buddha taught in, where values and virtues are the mileposts. You measure things in terms of values, virtues, and uh, spaces in the, in the citta qualities of joy, qualities of clarity, uh, lessening of stress, you measure things like that, increasing ease, regret, guilt, relief, release, you measure things like that. So often the contemplation or remembering of death is a, is a crucial point and a very poignant point because it certainly stirs us and it says, well, okay, if I'm going to die tonight, well, forget about the project. Forget about the day of the week. Forget about the buildings. Forget about the physical body. <laughs> what have you got left, you know? And it's great because most everybody's life is unfinished on that uh, on the rational level, on the external mind, we've got business we haven't done, we've got things we should tidy up, we've got people we need to visit, so forth, and something like that. But actually, death doesn't care. 
about the rational thinking external mind, it marches right in, it says end game, end of that. <laughs> Which is kind of good. If you want to grasp the stinging nettle of it, then it turns you, okay, so what's important? Where is what's important? It's not in something you see and touch and think about. Where is it? Then you begin to enter the realm of chitta, heart. There's a very good exercise, maranusati, turning, nusati, mindful in association with death. So, then it can be, rather than a source of anxiety and depression, a source of clarity. Because what I take with me, what I have, when everything else goes, is the state of my chitta. Is the joyfulness, the release, the non-attachment, the uh, beauty that arises from the jitta realizing itself. Realizing its harmfulness. Harmfulness is such that um, Human beings, whenever they touch into that, have tremendous resources. We have courage. We can courageously persist in the face of threat and danger. We can be compassionate, kindly. We can release, we can let go. We can step beyond ourselves into the chitta beyond our personal names, dates, thoughts, into something grander. And we can realise the ending of suffering and stress in that and nowhere else. It doesn't happen anywhere else. It doesn't happen through the work, it doesn't happen through the money, it doesn't happen through the country, it doesn't happen through the external world or the external mind which runs across it. Calculating, thinking, doesn't happen through knowledge, doesn't happen through science, only happens through jitta. So when we bring that, so this actually is a kind of treasure and you know, the recollection of death is one way of turning, turning the mind around from the external, mano, mano vijnana, mind consciousness into jitta, heart awareness. This is one of the uh, four primary recollections through which one enters. This is perhaps the most obvious one. 
because everybody knows it and it means something. Means separation from this world. If that's necessary, essential, has to happen, they will separate you from this sensory world. What have we learned within this sensory world? What have we values, virtues, compassion, kindness, courage, have we gleaned through working in this? Apparent world. It's not as if it's irrelevant. Relevance is, of course, that the Manavijnana, mind consciousness, drops these pieces of information into the chitta. And it's a sight, that's a sound, that's a touch, that's a flavour. And it touches it, the chitta, oh, oh, that's interesting, oh, yeah, more of that, oh. Oh yeah, oh no, 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 it drops these things, drops these pieces of information into the jitter, the jitter stirs, gets excited, gets passionate, gets agitated, gets angry, and really entering in that, that world of jitter and saying, look, you know, your clarity is the only thing that counts, the only thing that's really going to be with you. Your ability to release is the only possibility that Chitta actually has. The rest of it is just running up and down, which we uh, can do every day and never gets us to the end of suffering. But the end of suffering is possible. If we look at our external world, this is a chance to be patient, this is a chance to be resolved, this is a chance to be clarify our ethical standards. This is a chance to share and give. This is a chance to forgive. This is a chance to be equanimous, dispassionate, when things don't go the way we want them to. Then we're actually looking at these messages from the external and we're getting a different resonance in our chitta. Wisdom then trains the chitta, contemplate what things are doing. Contemplate. Generating contentment, dispassion, release. Or do we find ourselves getting snarled up in thoughts, ideas, projects, notions, comparisons, status, identities, getting snarled up in it? Or do we see them all as something that's just to be there to be used? Bring out strength, resolution, virtue, resolve, sharing, compassion, the rest of it. And let it go. You know, don't hang on to the external results, but value the internal results of what you're doing in your life is made meaningful. Another day when we can share, another day when we can care, another day when we can resolve. Another day we can steady and stabilize ourselves in the face of changing circumstances. Then you practice, practice all the time. So this nusati means we're entering into the realm of called meditation. Although in a way, once we start to use a word like meditation, it begins to 
compartmentalize something that shouldn't be compartmentalized because it's actually jitters there all the time uh, you know, everything you do is going to have some effect so you don't want to put it in a little box for an hour or so in the evening and be going all the time although when you get the time to sit still naturally you can use that for samadhi really collecting jitta very strongly and firmly in itself so it's certainly a valuable aspect of the territory of jitta not denying that But the, the, the recollection of uh, death, marana, is also associated with one of, the, one of the four standard recollections that are recommended. You know, just to keep bringing and turning the mind around. And recollection of death can, come, can bring up different ones. One is Buddha, recollection of Buddha, awakening. Awakening. Mm-hmm. Wise awakening, clarity, transcendence, deathless, realize the deathless. Mm-hmm. And you really can't get your thinking mind around that. I mean, you, you can play with it, but <laughs> you know, if this is the create that suggestion, and when we uh, cultivate Buddha, the appropriate way of cultivate is devotion, devotional practices, <coughs> chanting, bowing, shrines, images. Which, from the external sense, are like, well, so what? You know, singing songs, dropping up and down, pieces of brass on the shrine. What's that going to do with anything? But <laughs> yeah, this is where you 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 drop that kind of mind, and you enter heart. Here's a sense of you know the blessed one, and the sense of being given to. You realize life was a gift. You didn't create it, it happened to you. Breathing is a gift, it happens to you. You don't create a breath, it happens to you. Awareness happens to you, you don't, you don't create it, it happens to you. And so, you know, it's a gift. Are you ready to receive a gift? Such a powerful, your life is a gift. How do you receive that gift? Well, you bow. Because that's gratitude, that's a sense of something bigger than me, bigger than my personality. And it's the most important thing, because if I wasn't given life and given breath and given awareness, the rest of this wouldn't occur. So the devotion is towards a really the most primary entry point of, of reality and waking up to that and none of it's personal none of it's about history none of it's about time and when you cultivate that you know and you begin to establish that devotional 
quality. Yeah. And particularly if you use chanting and altars and Buddha images the proper way, again it's a door. And it gives you the means to enter that realm because now it's no longer thought. It's really embodied resonances, sounds, images, things that touch the quality of imaging, emotion, devotion. You know, very powerful realm for people, actually. Because even in ordinary life we have things like Christmas, which probably most people don't really associate with Jesus Christ. They associate with snow and robins on trees and Santa Claus and giving and stuff like that. It's only a day, <laughs> like any other. What's so good about snow? It kills creatures. <laughs> it's deadly. It's freezing. Oh no, it's nice, white, serene, beautiful. That's a myth. That's an image, right? That's an image. It's a very powerful image. And there are plenty more of them. You know? Kings. You know? And most anyone in leadership has a certain myth to them. You know? They're not just an ordinary person, they're lifted. You give them more space, you give them respect, because they're lifted. Uh, you know? Football teams. Just the Bunch of guys kicking a ball around. No, it's my team for my country. I don't see it's for my country. What country? <laughs> it uh, seems to be a big business, actually. Huge amount of mythic energy. People excited, enraptured, dejected, violent over it. This emotions are hugely stirred. So yeah, it's part of life. The imaginary world, what we fancy, what we fantasize about. Mm -hmm. But with Buddha Nusati, you, you image something as a quality of gentleness and reliable, and everybody can enter this, there's no competition. It's not my country, it's not my Buddha. <laughs> and when you chant together, it's not even my voice, it's the voice of all the human voices mingling together. And there's a resonance to it that's beautiful and uplifting. And you can carry that, you can move around with that. I always carry a Buddha image wherever I go, we're down somewhere, bow to it. Reminds me, I'm not in this country or that country. I am, well, I am, something is, but essentially my heart is established around Buddha and the values that he taught and the path that he, he created. And the beauty of it is that Buddha is both his internal weight quality, but also refers to a human being who managed to bring that forth. It means, okay, there's room for me. The rest of it we don't know. We don't really know exactly when he lived. There are various stories and different accounts, but we don't actually know 
We can't even guarantee the words that we see in the scriptures are actually what he said. They're probably as near as you're going to get. But what we do know, Rajitta, the possibility of truthfulness, reliable, compassionate. You know that, and you want to follow it, you can also recollect, as we do, the Buddha teaches the way out of stress, suffering. That's your, that's where you want to recollect that. And that stands in a way as a kind of complement to the recollection of death. Suddenly life becomes very meaningful rather than a, a tragedy about to happen when a brick falls on my head at the age of 45 while I was going to work. Oh. Tragedy awaiting to happen. Yeah. But then uh, we transform this life into not a tragedy that's going to happen, but a, a fruition that's going to keep growing the more you cultivate it. With this one, you get better at it. The older you get, you don't fade out, you get better at it. You start off rough, start off a bit, you know, you're, you're an invalid, generally when you're 19. <laughs> you get a bit healthy by the time you're 40. You finally get into your stride when you're 60. <laughs> by 80, you're really steaming away. <laughs> it's the opposite way around, you cultivate Buddha, so there's nothing left. So you think, well, it's just worth bringing to mind and looking at the details of it. You know? The ten qualities, the, shen, the nine recollections, the ten qualities, the, and primarily, of course, the Buddha's Dhamma. Where he said, This is the Buddha, when this body passes away, this will be your Buddha, the Dhamma Vinaya, teaching and training. And you enter upon that not so much with a sense of you know, purely intellectual knowledge or rights and wrongs. So you can look at Dhamma as scholasticism, Vinaya as rights and wrongs. But you look at it more in terms of, uh, you know, qualities of freedom internally and the way in which we live. Freedom from corruption that so easily takes over the heart. Freedom from lethargy, casualness, recklessness that so easily captures the chitta. No, 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 wait, wait, wake, wake up, wake up. Take an interest, be careful. That's the meaning of Dhamma Vinaya. Externally Vinaya, internally Dhamma. And this relates to the third recollection, which is on karma. Recollecting karma makes life meaningful. Now karma can often be uh, rather sort of slightly mm, inaccurately translated as some destiny or I've got a lot of karma means I'm really stuck. You know, history. But karma means choice. It means now you have the potential to act. 
now you have the potential to act. An action in this understanding is action of the heart, which means inclination, intentions based upon clarity, based upon ethical sensitivity, based upon renunciation, living simply, based upon modesty. Based upon upholding the good, based upon turning away from an understanding that which lets us down the wrong path. Karma, you've got the choice, you can act. First kind of action is the action of the heart. Everything counts, everything has some importance. You get that there, it means you can start to make a bit more choice around what you say. Second basis. What you say affects how you think. What you think affects what you say. So you're a bit more reflective and careful about information you pick up, gossip, slander, uh, just filling the head with all kinds of useless material. Careful. Because everything counts, everything's going to have some effect. Karma means you have a choice, and the choices you make have an effect with Bhakka. And that's the story. That's the story of Chitta. Buddha recognized this was his, one of his great realizations on his day of enlightenment, his night of enlightenment, however legendary or accurate that is, but certainly the realization is a powerful one. You know, we like this because of how choices have been made. Probably blurred choices, reckless choices, careless choices, but something went, okay, yeah, okay. Okay, everybody else is doing it, I'll do it. Okay, that's what they want, I'll do it. Oh, good, I'll do it. You know, we kind of often make minor choices where we just decide to go along. Affected by the pressures of others. Not always choices made with a great deal of clarity. So, one of the great choices you begin to make is I'm going to choose to be clear about what I'm doing, recognizing everything as a result. Mm-hmm. You know, other people say do this, people say do that, think this, is it right? Maybe so. Do I really know? Or am I just. I want to choose to be able to know clearly. That's the most important choice. The Buddha says, yeah, you can do that. How do you get to know more clearly? Well, we call it meditation. It's the making the choice to enter the territory of chitta with clarity, as much clarity as one has, sustaining attention through mindfulness. So you really review the process of thoughts and emotions and where they're going. Impersonally, the territory of chitta is not a person. It seems like a person, we call it a person. Call it me and mine, but actually it's thoughts, emotions, perceptions, 
impulses, reactions, feelings happening. Your first choice is just to know this clearly. And how to know it clearly? Steady yourself. Put aside the external world. Limit it to just the sense of a body. Sitting, standing, walking, moving. Use that. You don't have to astral project. You stay very grounded in this. The whole of it. Steadying entire body means when you do that, suddenly very receptive to all that's going on. And your breathing comes there. Your breathing, you can feel you, you can sense your breathing moving through you. Using things, well, this is clear, this is given, this is the rest of it. Maybe so, but this is definitely happening. The rest of it's just opinions, moods, thoughts. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know I'm breathing. And that's not mine. That's a gift. That's not something I create, wish for, believe in. It happens. Maybe this is more reliable than the stuff my mind, emotions create which I'm not so clear about. So, okay, so just aim for clarity. Notice how, when you have that basis of mindfulness, mindfulness of body, mindfulness of breathing, you've got a good way to measure the rest of it. This is going to agitation. A great place I wanted to go to, and then I found it, it's actually restlessness. <laughs> Well, that's why you didn't realize that. That irritating person who always gets things wrong, actually, well, that's called ill will. That's ill will. Didn't realize that. And so you begin to see <laughs> the underlying truths in the forms and the perceptions, the Nama Rupa, that we begin, that we live in forms and labels, forms and measurements, forms and attitudes, forms and perceptions, forms and interpretations, nama rupa. When jitta withdraws, nama rupa is seen as a magic show. Sometimes black magic, confusions, but definitely projection like a film show being shot on a played on out on a screen, you know, being mesmerized by it, gripped by it, scream at it, weep at it, laugh at it. Uh, Rightly said to Jitta, this is not something that's clear, stable, solid, (laughs) not bringing out the best, it's just bringing out hindrances. Why don't I bring out the best? Steadying, directly practicing, steadying, soothing, brightening, relieving through disembodied experience. Mm. And you're waiting for the good movie, and the beauty of it is there isn't one. And that's the best 
That's the best movie you ever went to. <laughs> when the movie stops. Karma. This can be done, affected, otherwise there's no point. You think of karma, you're thinking, mind, well, you know, this body, this mind, probably been around for lifetimes, probably after all this, this kind of world around me is no possibility because I'm living in Greenwich or Birmingham or Berlin or somewhere no no (laughs) you're in the wrong territory come back to the territory of Chit there's no time, no place this is karma causes, effects triggering stuff happening hindrances and enlightenment factors. Yeah. And the fourth, fourth of the recollections is the recollections on the measureless states, one of the finest uh, treasures that the mind, chitta, can bring forth kindness, compassion, gladness, and appreciation of others' welfare and one's own welfare, serenity, equanimity. It's just coming and going. There's no conclusion. It doesn't have to be a conclusion. Conclusions are to do with the thinking mind. Jitta knows it just ceases creating things. These qualities, uh, again, these are very uh, karma. Understanding karma is eminently useful for dealing with, you know, external daily realities. What you buy, where you go, who you talk to, what you do, think, speak, physically act. The other basis of karma, physical action. Yeah. So this isn't going to some kind of fantasy realm. It's actually looking at the underpinnings of our life, the real stuff. And then we can play that out in terms of how we act, move around, interact. Same with uh, measureless states. You know, quality of goodwill. The atmosphere of uh, being rather generous towards beings, including oneself. Seeing beings as rather precious, miraculous experiences, because life is a miracle, being born is a miracle, it happens, and there's another one, wonder what's happening for that. In, that, in that situation, in that skin bag, you know, <laughs> I don't know, but it's another miracle, rather than oh, it's him again, <laughs> there's another heap of karma moving along, there's another karmic karmic stuff happening. Let's see if I can actually encourage that. Because it's a beautiful thing to do. So this attitude of generous goodwill and uh, yeah, compassion, seeing how you can take away the, the burden, pull out the boot, pull out the arrows from other people, at least encouraging them to do so, at least not throwing them more arrows into them. 
And you know, so you can cultivate that. And it doesn't matter when you're in this realm, in this one you really get into it, near or far alive or dead. If they come up in your mind, come up in your heart, then there's, there's room to cultivate kindness, compassion, appreciation, gladness, gratitude, yeah. and equanimity. This too will pass. This too will pass. This will pass. Yeah. Me getting excited, dejected, isn't going to do any good. Stay tuned in to the heart. Get this very wide trust and allowance. You know, beings are moving on in accordance with their karma. I can offer support, appreciation. Now is the time. If they're not available, I could be equanimous. But you don't have to close down. You don't have to go into what can I possibly do about so and so who's really depressed or unhappy or sick or dying. Well, cultivate here and now. Cultivate the measurement states and see what comes up. The Buddha said, you know, when people are beings who just seem completely closed, he said, I can't overestimate the value of equanimity. <laughs> doesn't always work for people. But you keep the door open and you look for the openings. So this means you don't close your heart around any of it. Closing the heart around any of it is not going to be supportive for awakening when the heart open. That's because this is the medium, this is the vehicle, this is the quality that's going to realize. You don't want to close it down and dismiss it. So in hopeless situations, seemingly hopeless, you keep it there with equanimity. Nothing we can do, we can be equanimous. This is good then in all you know, aspects, external life, internal life, you cultivate. So these are four avenues or four keys or four doorways into the realm of jitta. And uh, it's always relevant every every day. Um, and uh, the calendar year says it's coming up for our retreat time in the monastery whatever that means. But retreat is what you make of it. Uh, certainly when you have the occasion to dim the lights on the external momentum of the world, time, date, future, when you have the, have the chance just to turn the lights down on that, turn the lights off in the heart, this is the occasion to do so make much use of it. It will serve you well. Here you are.